Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of The Snapshot. We are your hosts. My name is Brendan Patrick. And I'm joined by none other than KM Best. The Snapshot is a Marvel Snap podcast focused on the competitive side of the game. In episode eight, it's a mailbag, so it's questions from all of you. Anyway, let's get into it. Cam, how was your week in Marvel Snap? Uh, I have come to the conclusion that the best deck in the game is some form of Thanos Lockjaw. Mm. And then the question is just how you want to customize your Thanos Lockjaw. Uh, I've been looking for a deck to counteract it. I played a little bit of a Hazmat Luke Cage Sarah deck, which did well into it, but then my opponent added Leech to their Thanos deck, and it was like, oh, okay, well, we kind of get hosed by that. That makes the matchup a lot less in our favor, a lot more in their favor. I believe I played four games against the Human Spider. I won four, and then he added Leech. He won one. So four and one, still promising, but probably not as promising as that sounds. Uh, I also have been messing around with cards like Modoc. Not really it, especially if Leech comes back into the meta, but I finally found a Modoc list that I don't hate, so that's good. Uh, it's it's kind of what these cards that come out of the series pass should be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season pass cards are all... It, it, it's just good enough to be exciting and not good enough to be Silver Surfer or Zabu. Yeah, additional rather than archetype defining, I think is a good target for the season passes. Um, how is your how's your ELO doing? I saw you were above 200 infinite. Oh, has it's it... still, we're still boned. That's we're what... still mostly playing bots. <sighs> that sucks. I think you're going to be stuck there <laughs> for probably most of the season, yep. unfortunately. Um, yep. So yeah, unfortunately I had the... I've just been doing, I've been doing a lot of testing in battle mode. If you watch any of my YouTube videos, they're all battle mode now mm. because I, what am I supposed to do? Show a video, a gameplay video of me beating a bot. That's the worst shit of all time. Yeah, unfortunately, I had the flu this week, so I didn't get to play very much. Has the has the meta evolved at all since we last talked? Has anything kind of showed up? Has there I been think a cemented- people haven't processed Thanos yet. I don't think yeah. he's getting the respect he deserves. Uh, I think he's he's the best deck, and I don't think people are acting like he's the best deck. If you mm-hmm. ask people what the best deck is, you've got a bunch of different answers, and that's wrong. There's only one best deck. What's your sentiment on Thanos being the best deck? Good thing or bad thing? I think it's probably bad mm. because the way I that I haven't figured out a way to break the mirror. I haven't figured out a way. Yeah, basically, I haven't figured out a way to break the mirror. He's 6,000 tokens, and the better player tends to win unless you high roll, right? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of shit people hate. Nobody actually likes matchups where the better player wins. People say they like matchups where the better player wins. They're fucking lying. They like matchups where they win. And Thanos matchups against good players are actually just fucking nightmares. Mm. That's true. I mean, we we've talked about sort of the 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 human bias towards just winning rather than balance and, and good good mm. play experience. Uh, so, would you say that's that's applying to you right now? Are you not having fun in those mirrors? Uh, I Thanos mirrors are insanely complex. If you're the kind of person who enjoys that, you're gonna love them. I think it's probably, if it's not the best ladder deck, it's definitely the best battle mode deck because of how impossible it is to play around all the things they could do. And because of how many... In battle mode, the importance of individual games is heightened, right? Mm -hmm. So if you gain a game-winning advantage off of being able to reality stone away a death's domain, right? That matters so much more in battle mode than it does in ladder. 
So Thanos' advantages are even more heightened in a tournament setting. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I haven't I haven't been able to play, but you, I mean, you, you're selling me over here. It sounds like a breath of fresh air coming off the the Zabu the Zabu days. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, it, I'm I mean, sure it would get he's definitely he's not there. Like he's definitely not Zabu tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think he's the best deck in the format. Yeah, I mean, at least it would be freshing. I think that if you were going to critique the past meta anyway, it would just it, it felt a bit dull and on rails. I think, and if uh, if Thanos kind of gets us out of that. Um, even if it starts, it, it does get dull over a long period of time. It, I think it's good. Oh, I, I think it is too. It's just, uh, one of the things that really worries me is I, I haven't seen a lot of movement in it and that's probably cause I'm in fucking bot Elo, but like I, I do a lot of testing, right. With the group of players that I, like, I basically, I got, I grabbed everyone in my chat that I run into on infinite ladder when the ladder isn't broken. Mm-hmm. And I threw them all in a room and then I I, I, I asked them, uh, I, I test stuff with them. That's pretty much it. That's so right. that that is my way of simulating ladder effectively. I, mean, uh, I think there's stuff to be found, but like there's just not a lot of people doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's freaking awesome, though. That sounds like the perfect sort of use case of battle mode. And sounds like a huge yeah. sort of a, a huge. Upgrade At least they released the solution to their problem before it happened. All right, so with that, let's just let's hit into the news real quick. Not too much to talk about, but a few key things that came out. What do you, we had Ghost come out uh, the sort of the the one drop here? I have it pulled up on the screen. Um, it's a one cost, two power that says ongoing. Your cards always are always revealed last. Um, Cam, what do you think about this card? I want it to be good so badly. It definitely. I don't think it is. <sighs> If it isn't, I think it's not right now, but it could be in the future, right? That's a relevant yeah. effect on a reasonable stat body, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it, let me, I don't know if it's relevant. It's unique, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's necessarily relevant. Like, obviously, you know, it's like, oh, look at all these games where it's like so awesome that you, you get to like Shang-Chi them. But it's like, you know, you probably can already make that happen without doing the running the part where you run a ghost, right? Yeah. So the use case I see for it right now is... It is a way to protect a Shuri deck from getting 50 50. Mm-hmm. So, like, right now you have, like, okay, I put my Red Skull in the Cosmo lane. That's safe. But they can guess where my Taskmaster goes and Shang-Chi it. And if they do that, I lose. And Ghost will prevent that from happening. I think that's her use case right now. I don't know what else she really does if that becomes a popular use case which i doubt because she costs six thousand tokens and isn't that exciting then you have this little bit of a ghost arms race perhaps but even that seems very unlikely to me especially like maybe when she hits series three but even then it's like you need to be doing something really specific to want this Mm -hmm. card and i don't think the just included in a tech package is the move could you see this as a card that's more relevant in um, battle mode tournaments rather than on ladder? I don't have the depth or breadth of experience to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah, this is one of the recent series fives that it gets me excited. Like I understand, I understand what you're saying, and you're absolutely correct on the ability not being as relevant as people probably think it is when they first see it. They get really excited. They're like, "Oh, I'm going to dodge all the Shane cheese, et cetera, et cetera." Um, it's probably just not that relevant because you can change your play pattern during the game to just get around that anyway most of the time. Um, but I could see this being <sighs> right. Like, would you rather would your would you rather have your Shang Chi counterplay be this or be Arrow? Mm-hmm. Right? Because like, how are you going to like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
it's it's a very specific solution, and there are a lot of more generalist ones out there. Which your Shang? Would you rather have your Shang Chi counterplay be this or Cosmo? Mm-hmm. One of them is clearly better than the other at dealing with things that aren't just this one situation, right? Yeah. The thing that gets me excited is the just it. It definitely is a toolbox card, and if it's not relevant now, it it's something to look at in the future as metas develop and new decks come in and you know the best deck gets switched out this will be a card that you can potentially revisit depending on what that strategy is and if this card exploits it at all so i mean just one of the yeah, one of the better I, series five. i guess i guess my question to you would be then what what is that i don't know yet that so that that's i think you're right with the current meta it's just not as relevant no, like make something up make a card up that's good with this well it would be a card that's not that hasn't come out yet so literally no like literally you i'm telling you right now make up a card make up a card that is good with ghost that's a lot you're putting a lot on me i'm gonna use the i'm just gonna use the 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 current then i'm using the natty light deck i think this is a reasonable one drop in that deck no no like i'm saying i'm saying like when we talk about will this card be good in the future right and to be clear i do think it's a reasonable one drop the natty light deck you can replace zero with it if you really want to zero is really mediocre in that deck in a lot of different spots but like I can't like it's a it's an effect that sounds awesome, but whenever I think about how would it ever be awesome, I get nothing. And when I the reason I ask that question is like, what when would that matter? When would that matter? It would matter after a Galactus. So you know your turn four Galactusing, I guess, right? Like you go wave Galactus. That that's when it would matter. So it would matter. The issue with Galactus what, though, right, is this gets destroyed and the effect is no longer. Right, you'd available. have to play it in the Galactus lane. That's why I said turn four Galactus, mm-hmm. right? So you go turn four Galactus, then this in the null or something. I don't know. That seems terrible. But like, you could also just you could just be playing, you know, Doc Ock or Leech instead. I, I just like I can't think of a situation. I can't even make up a card where it's like anything short of, you know, if you reveal that if this is the last card revealed, uh, you win the game. I can't think of anything that's good. Yeah, I might be overly optimistic in that case because I can't either on the spot. I can't. I can't uh, come up with sort of a future situation where this is good. But I do look at this card over something like Shadow King or some of those others, and it just right. It's better than those. It's yeah. It sparks. It sparks my imagination a bit more. Where those cards, it's like you know, who knows? It, yeah. Maybe in the future, but yeah. So and Ghost is a one drop. I like that more flexible one drops. I I also like that. Right. Um. I think that's cooler than getting something like a, an additional six drop that's competing. That's like those are very competitive slots. Um, I just want to talk about the series drop that's coming out sometime before March six because this is what this is what everybody wants to hear. This is the good stuff. So we have series five to series four. We have Silver Surfer, Darkhawk, Null, Sentry. Funny story, Sentry is like the only series five I've ever opened. Um, but Null, nice. <laughs> Null, Darkhawk, Silver Surfer. That's very exciting. I'm actually uh, for the Darkhawk, Silver Surfer. Great, kind of expected that. Null. Um, I'm happy to see that. I think Noel's a, Noel, Noel's a freaking awesome card and happy to see that going on Actually, in Series 4. I'm kind of sad to see Noel. I'll tell you why. Go for it. That's going to make Galactus more common. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like Galactus being a thing that's common. Right now, just like Thanos, it's kind of flying under the radar because it's expensive. Most people don't have the card. It's really good and really annoying i i'd imagine it's kind of a medium battle mode deck because of you know the snap equity but woof it 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 is it is a good deck still and the fact that everyone's gonna now have access to this null crap i i I don't know i don't know i don't know 
I think we might look back with nostalgia on the days when this was a 12,000 token deck and you didn't run into it as often because I do not think it is a fun gameplay experience. If Galactus shows up all the time on the ladder, that does not seem fun to me. Galactus is a very zero-sum fun deck, but good thing is that Second Dinner definitely agrees with you, at least to an extent, because mm-hmm. they're locking Galactus at that Series 5 and not transitioning him down. Um, right, but that's actually... But the fact that they're locking him at Series 5 makes people more likely to buy him, not less. Mm-hmm. I did a... Uh, tier list of you know what are the best cards to buy and the two top ones are galactus and thanos because they're locked at series five like that makes them more likely to be purchased because people can be like oh my investment won't depreciate now Mm -hmm. that's a good point yeah and i think uh back when before the leader nerf they actually mentioned that galactus was they had their eye on galactus or it's on it's on some sort of list it's on a short list no they Galactus has been name checked by Brode, I believe, in an interview where he was where they were like, "What's the most broken card you've ever released?" And he was like, "Galactus." <laughs> he thinks he like that is the card they are the most worried about would be mm-hmm. Galactus. Yeah, I mean it's very ser- zero sum fun. <laughs> it's terrible mm-hmm. for the other side of the board. All right, series four to series three: Hellcarrier, Agent Coulson, uh, Maria Hill. I mean Maria Hill, Agent Coulson. Those are kind of those. Those are a package in the in the Dino deck, right? Like the early pool three Dino deck. That's unfair to Agent Colson, who is actually really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria Hill, a lot less good. Yeah. We played Maria Agent Hill, Coulson. I guess maybe not a lot less good, but generally is going to have more unfavorable metagames because you want to play her in a dino deck, right? You're like, okay, this will fill my hand up. But then you get a one drop and you're like, oh, I can just play this one drop out. And then it's like, well, what did she actually do? She gave you a one two that you can play. You got M'Baku. Cool. Yeah, we got. Uh, I mean, we played Agent Coulson in the in the T Rocks deck, and it was a fantastic yeah. card. No, Coulson's like actually good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what do you think about Hellcarrier? I mean, that's just is that existing Bad. at the top end of some of these discard decks at this moment? I think it makes Modok decks worse. If you want to make your Modok deck worse, you can play Hellcarrier, I guess. Um, Maybe there's something with like Lady Sif, Helicarrier, Ghost Rider, and the Collector. Yeah, but outside of that, I doubt it. Anyway, good to see the good to see the series drop. Very exciting. I'm happy to pe- for people to have these cards and to see particularly Darkhawk Silver Surfer transition down. Even though they've they're less well than the meta, I'm happy to have you know, all the people to have access to those cards. Let's go into the bend and snap section, which we actually are going to skip this podcast because this entire podcast is a bend and snap section. Um, so the main topic is going to be a mailbag. It's just listener questions, most of which were sourced from YouTube and uh, Cam's Discord. So we're going to start off with RDU2611. RDU says, do you, do you guys think there are any cards that present long-term problems for the game? For example, Dracula, where it represents an uninteractive point slam that cannot be countered. Well, uh, I think Galactus falls in this category for you. Galactus and Cosmo, actually. Do you when think- you talk about things that cannot be countered, right? People love to name check Dracula because they lose to that card, right? But mm. if someone puts a Cosmo in a lane, you actually just can't fucking do anything about it. You, there's nothing you can do. It's over. You can't Enchantress it because the on reveal doesn't work. You can't do anything. It's just there forever. Yeah, weird, right? Like you don't people don't think of Cosmo as a card that's like, oh, you know, because like Dracula, you know, there there are things you can do. You can play uh, Maximus to make them draw cards on the last turn, right? You can you can you can put uh, Black Widow Widow's Bite in their hand and make it at least a fifty fifty. You can't do shit about Cosmo. You can't do a single fucking thing. Yeah, I would. Um, 
I think I would put in that category all the the cost reduction cards. So, I mean, Zabu less so now, but you, we saw the issues with Zabu. But Zabu and Sarah, I do really like those cards. Like, I love playing decks with them. But I think they are possible problems for the future of the game because they're just... I think they're pretty balanced, honestly. Pay no attention to the fact that I'm playing a Zabu Sarah deck. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I really do think they're balanced, right? Like, you need... It, it's a... It's healthy for the game to have a turn six point slam deck, which Sarah is, especially if Leech is going to be a played card, right? There's very clear counters to shit like that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're balanced right now. I definitely agree with you. But if we were saying like, okay, in perpetuity, what are cards that have potentials to cause issues in the game just because of how they're fundamentally designed? I think that's like cost reductive cards, these sort of really atypical, atypically designed cards like Galactus, they're very one-sided fun and then maybe dracula falls into that but i think dracula has more counterplay than people give it credit for like honestly you said. i think yeah dracula has more counterplay than people people give it credit for it's just they don't want to make those sacrifices to play the counterplay to dracula because he's not common enough to counterplay against right like people love talk, talking about how he's uninteractive and what they actually mean is i can't play shang chi and enchantress on him mm -hmm. and it's like okay fucking get over it <laughs> it's it's that's actually not uninteractive what it means is he dodges your tech. That's not the same thing. Yeah. What do you, uh, any other cards that fall, fall into that category for you? Dracula is close. Yeah. Just because people love complaining about him, but he's definitely below the two that I listed, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, here's one that you, uh, it, it falls under your cost reduction cards, but I wanted to name check it specifically. We've got two. First, first one is the cost reduction one, Quinjet. That's a strong ass card. Oh, yeah. T-Rox uh, definitely exposed that. <laughs> that is a strong-ass card. The second one is Killmonger. I just think his overall presence is just so deleterious to ever playing one-drops. <laughs> like, basically, whenever he shows up, the only one-drops that get played are, like, Iceman and Sunspot, and Sunspot is only because you're playing armor, and it's just like, oh, my God, this this sucks. I, I think part of that is just I really want to be able to play Zoo mm -hmm. and just him existing is like, oh, well, you can't do that. Sorry. I think the sort of modality for him to exist just as like a functional three drop in a lot of these decks uh, and yeah, just doesn't seem very costly. That's that's like why it doesn't yeah. feel like I can play Zoo. You so can free roll him. Yeah, exactly. You free roll Killmonger and it's like, oh, that's probably not good. That's the same way I feel about Cosmo. I have long held that. You could probably knock a point of power off of most of the tech cards and they'd still see the same amount of play, which means you should probably knock a point of power off all the tech cards. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's still probably true. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have Disco Biscuit 33. They say, how reliable are the statistics um, that sites like Snapzone and Snap.Fan provide? What are their limitations? How should someone who wants to improve use slash interpret that data? Is it worth even using at all? My personal perspective is that both of the sites have some issues they need to work out before I will listen to someone citing to them with no other evidence. Um, if you like, for example, if you came to my stream and you said, you know, uh, this 11th card is better than this 11th card because of snap fan data, I probably wouldn't listen to you. If you provided a use case, I would. But right now, I don't find either of the data sites aggregate enough to make a compelling recommendation to me mm -hmm. yeah i personally don't use uh the 
the data from those websites to try to predict uh, like the infinite meta or cards that I should be swapping in or swapping out. Um, if I am going to look at a resource that is not me just playing the game, um, I almost exclusively go look at whatever the top streamers are playing that almost almost all the time represents at least what the majority of the infinite meta is playing at that time. Uh, outside of that, Twitter. Twitter is honestly a good resource. Um, and I don't know. At this point, if you're not playing tournaments and you're just playing ladder, you can just play games on ladder and you'll figure it out pretty yeah. quickly. There's not really a lot of risk there. Marvel Snap is actually a pretty interesting game right now because the, the data is so imperfect. It does feel like um, to get ahead, like let's say a new feature location drops, you know, tomorrow or something trying to get ahead to try to exploit that location it often feels like you know there will be some articles that you can reference and some you know, people have had ideas of like how you could build decks but it does feel like a lot of the time you've got to just kind of try to figure it out yourself and i think that marvel snap really rewards deck building and sort of being innovative in that way i uh i would say that i enjoy using uh snap fan and uh, the marvel snap tracker which i'm not sure if it's integrated now i remember it is marvel snap.pro uh for snap zone but I use them both as net decking resources, not as like deck tuning resources. I think I think that's the best way to do them. Uh, they'll they'll get you in the ballpark. They yeah. will not get you to differentiate between the best deck and the second best deck in the format. Yeah, hundred percent. If you're starting from zero, like you don't have a base of a deck, you're like, oh, I've heard about a, I've heard about Sarah decks, and you just want a functional sort of shell of a deck. I, I will definitely use those websites for that. Um, often you know, just reference like a Dan article or something like that, and he'll usually post mm-hmm. post like a base list that you can work off of. Um, just to follow up to Disco's question, uh, they say, what would you like to see happen with regards to this third party data in order for it to become a more valuable tool for understanding the meta? I would like it to be good. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I would like it to be good. I would like to be able to know that when I'm looking, when I'm sorting snap fans, deck, st- deck stats, I would like to be able to sort by, you know, I'd like to be able to give a minimum number of games, right? I'd like to be able to specify that there's no bots in there. Yeah. I'd like to be able to uh, look at ranks 100 plus. Oh, wait, no, I can do 80 to, 80 to 100 and 100 plus. But the weird bit is it's actually because of the bots, it's actually better to look at the 80 to infinite because that's where there's no bots, right? <laughs> like I there are a million different things. I would love to know what their data collection setup is. I would love to know. I would love basically I just I would love to be able to trust the numbers on my screen. And right now, I don't know that I can at either of the sites. I would say I trust snap fans a little bit more right now, but that I mean, that's just pretty much where I'm at. I don't think that's like a ringing endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think a good example. Oh, I will say I will say uh, I do enjoy the writing on uh, SnapFan and Marvel SnapZone a ton. They both have a ton of talented, dope-ass writers who uh, have great perspectives uh, to to learn from. I definitely, definitely endorse that. Uh, Den on SnapZone, Safety Blade on SnapZone, Vin Kelsier on uh, Snap.Fan. Uh, definitely worth reading if you're trying to improve, but... I think you'll notice that like in any of those articles, nobody is citing to the data, right? Like if you go read, look at a Hearthstone meta report, right? Like from vicious syndicate, it's, it's, this is the number. Here's the number. And the fact that even the people who write for these websites are not like, ah, well, this is the number that I trust. That is telling to me. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I never, I never thought about that specifically, but <laughs> that is that is definitely telling. <laughs> All right. Next up is Shane beeps. Shane says, while the flashiest turns and snap happen towards the end of the game, the early slash mid game seems where uh, seems where a lot of games can be won and lost due to card placement, sequencing, and so on. What are your primary considerations and decision making procedures during those early turns? Where are they going and what will my late game be? Uh, you want to you want to jockey for position and priority a lot of the time, right? Especially in the current metagame, which is very focused around arrow. Generally, if you're not doing something unfair, Lockjaw, Thanos, Stones kind of thing, like Quinjet into Lockjaw, in which case, who cares? Basically, what you're just focusing on is, does this work? Can I make this work? How what is the what are the risks that I'm running by playing into an uh, a lane that has not flipped up? Do do I want to increase the variance in the game by playing into a lane that has not been flipped up or is or alternatively is the location that has flipped up bad enough for what I want to do that I have to increase the variance in the game because I've already like had some bad variance in there already. Mm hmm. They have a follow-up question, which is, I, I love this question. Um, it says, somewhere around December or January, it seems, like, it seems like there was a seismic shift of everyone's shared understanding of how important priority was, Le uh, leading to cards like Mojo or even Angela, although the nerf happened, uh, seen as less valuable and cards like Maximus played more often. What are similar types of game theories or fundamental truths you think people haven't yet caught on to in Snap? I want to preface this before you answer, Cam, by can you tell us sort of about that shift in the in sort of the collective understanding of priority? Because I've heard you actually talk about it before, how it was different back in beta. And then it as... Was, go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, it was different back in beta because decks were better at filling every spot on the board. Right. Who gives a shit if you play arrow, if all 12 spots are filled up and two of them are like an Iron Man and a mystique. Right. Like we had broken ass Mr. Negative. Right. It was pre nerf negative, pre nerf Sarah, pre nerf Bishop, pre nerf Angela. I feel like more pre nerf magic for the love of God. Right. Like magic was another thing that just like made arrow completely worthless in the beta because it's like, all right, I'm going to get you on turn six with my arrow. And then you they just magic and suddenly your arrow did absolutely fucking nothing. Right. There are things that it's like we could have optimized better for back then. But fundamentally, that metagame was ruled by a deck that filled the board up. And because it was ruled by a deck that filled the board up, cards like arrow and leader even like leader was like not exactly good because it was a deck that filled the board up and also played mystique and bishop and stuff that just like can dodge a leader not necessarily an evolution in thought so much as an evolution in card pool mm -hmm. there was uh i think that the the change and everybody, like, yeah, the death wave changed when Arrow got really, really popular. Um, obviously, like you said, the, the decks were different. That's when it felt like people really started to pay attention to priority a lot more. It could have just been the the popular deck was, uh, you know, needed to utilize priority the correct way. And also, once a leader became a thing, you know, like, you really had to be paying attention to priority if you were playing a card like leader, and especially playing leader mirror, etc. I'm going to go to the... the the ending question here, which was, what are some similar types uh, of game theories or fundamental truths you think people haven't caught on to yet in Snap? I think it's hard to... The analogy I like to use is back in, I want to say, season three, 
of the the LCS the League Championship Series in League of Legends, which mm-hmm. was in like 2012, 2013 or something. There was an invitational, and in that invitational, a Korean player named Insec uh, pulled off this incredible technology with Lee Sin, right? And what he did was he 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 used Lee Sin's uh, abilities to get close to his opponent, dropped a ward like an object behind the opponent teleported to the object and then kicked the person back in. Right. And this was insane. People didn't do this. This was like the, the a fucking revolutionary thing to do. It became known as the insect combo. It's named after the guy. Right. And within five years, there were people in gold who could do that. The, the, way that people are just so much better just over the by virtue of time because they build on what people have already seen or what people have already done like when you think about magic you had people writing who's the beatdown and that was like the peak of magic strategy and it's like oh my god think about how far we've come since then it, it is impossible to avoid people being better at shit now than they than they used to be it is impossible to avoid it Mm-hmm. especially in, in games that are not necessarily physical, th- whose rules don't change to the degree uh, of like a physical sports game. Right. But like, it's, it's just impossible. We, we, our knowledge keeps increasing. So when you're asking me that question, I got to tell you the answer is I don't fucking know, but I'll feel really stupid about it in hindsight. Yeah. It'll be really obvious in the future. This is funny because mm-hmm. this, this happened in flesh and blood. And as a result, we have the most dominant champion the game has ever seen. Um, and it was, it was pretty simple basically all the cards are designed on like a, a very basic algorithm um, that adds up to a specific number. We call it the the rule of eight. Um, and all this person did was find the cards with the highest expressed attack value or highest expressed potential value um, in the form of attack because attack was above rate from defensive cards and put those cards into their deck. And they put it into the shell of a hero uh, called Icelander, which was a wizard hero, and it could play their arsenal into speed. Basically, it could get a lot of value off of like its blue cards, its arsenal, you know, cards that would usually kind of be more resource cards in other decks. And then it played the, <laughs> from the original set, these really high costed, clunky, just generic cards. But at the end of the day, it was two cards for eight damage and that beat out pretty much anything else. Um, so now Fab is like in this weird area where like these generic cards are just dominating. We have this champion that's been beating everybody, the current, the reigning world champion. Um, it's just been really easy to see because those cards have existed literally since the first set. And all, although we knew about them, they weren't dominating the game like they are right now. And yeah, I mean, that's how it goes, like you said. Information cascades. Mm-hmm. Another thing I learned from a magic article, right? Information cascades in magic. Was that, was that, oh shit, was that Patrick Chapin? I'm trying to remember. I'm Googling it now. It was Chapin. There it is. <laughs> Yeah, but like that, he wrote that in 2006, and now I can just say information cascades, and people know what I'm talking about. And that's such an advantage <laughs> over a guy who had to write a whole article to get the concept across. Yeah. All right, next up uh, is from Feather. Uh, they say, how does rock, paper, scissors analogy of other competitive card games apply to Snap? archetypes so let's talk a little bit about about what rock paper scissors means and other card games so usually it refers to from what my understanding is like the the top decks in a meta usually consisting of different archetypes and the idea is that you know rock 
rock beats uh, rock beats scissors, scissor beats paper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you have this. You'll have a deck that you're you're very good into, a deck that you know you may be fifty fifty into, considering something like the mirror, and then a deck that you lose into, and then usually that kind of comprises your metagame, and you make your analysis on what deck to pick uh, based on that. Um, do you? How does that apply in Marvel Snap Cam? Doesn't. Doesn't. It doesn't. It does not apply. Um, I, I simply like there are going to be winning matchups and they're going to be losing matchups, but it's not like I feel like what they're asking is, you know, combo beats control can control beats aggro. That's not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not real. I agree with you. I also don't I don't necessarily know if it can be real outside of like a very focused tournament metagame um, where you mm-hmm. would see like a convergence on the two or three decks. But if you're talking about open ladder. I'm not even sure if that would exist in something like magic. I don't even know how to group those archetypes, mm-hmm. let alone say which ones beat the other, right? Like, okay, uh, Patriot, right? Is Patri- Patriot's a combo deck, right? So it should beat the control deck, except it doesn't because it gets Enchantress, right? <laughs> like, it's like, oh, yeah. like it's, none of this stuff maps properly. And then when you try like when you try to navigate using a map that doesn't work, you're just going to get lost. Yeah, it just it doesn't convert one to run at least in our current understanding of the game. Uh, So, yeah, I'm not sure we can quite parse that yet. Next up is from Turbo. Turbo says, (laughs) I love this question, are uh, quote-unquote not fun locations appearing too frequently? Yes. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) So, fun locations, I think that that is... No, I said next question. We're going... (laughs) Fun locations no, are, are subjective. I'm sure there's some people that love the really, really unfun locations because they get they get a nice like, uh, you know, climb out of it. Uh, but yeah, there are some locations that turn off more strategies than they turn on, um, and I guess they lend to less play rather than more sort of agency in play. And I think that those those are unfun. The the hot location thing, and I saw I've I've seen a couple people tweet about this. A couple streamers where they're like this. It's really frustrating, right? Because if you stream every day, you're basically you're kind of forced into playing some of these right. locations that just stop you from playing like the decks you want to play, or even kind of playing the game, right? It's bad for us specifically, but they also shouldn't design around me. Like <laughs> guys like me and like Dexter and Dara are not the people that they should be designing around. Yeah, I wonder if it if you know. In general, it frustrates more people than uh, potentially find it to be like a fun mechanic right now. I think it adds a good so variance think, and freshness to the game. Although I think the interesting bit is, I don't think this is actually a question that's about hot locations. I think this is a question that's about like mm. I got a I got a location that was like uh, it was it was uh, you know Plunder Castle Sanctum Sanctorum and like so and like uh, Crimson Cosmos right. Are there too many of those? And I think the answer to that, that's yes. Yeah. There are too many of those. There are too many locations that are just like, you can't play here. Or like, uh, I got I got a location that was, it was Rickety Bridge, Sanctum Sanctorum, and a, uh, a, like, Rickety Bridge, Sanctum Sanctorum, and pick any of the other 12 locations that can make you not be able to play cards there. Yeah. Death's Domain. Sure. There you go. There's probably too many of those. I think you interpreted it. It blends, it blends itself to games where you just don't play cards. Yeah, I think you interpreted that that question correctly. I, I have to I have to follow up and ask what's your what's your least favorite location? Lamentus. Still Lamentus. Lamentus. I think mine is Subterranea. Uh, it's like a bit innocuous, but I feel like it just adds this <laughs> variance to the game that's really fucking really freaking annoying to, 
It's just this like man, this man drew four rocks. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> this man sucks. He drew rocks because you can't. I'm just, good. I never draw rocks. Yeah, I feel like you can't just leave on like a subterranean flip. But then no, that, you just end up. That's player diff. Oh god, that's yeah. player diff. Like, I, they just drew less rocks than you. They're just better. I hate that location. Uh, next up is B Money. B Money says, "How do you feel about the current?" Uh, balance and method of balance adjustment. So, I mean, we can use the the use case of Silver Surfer Zabu. Uh, on a previous pod, we expressed that we were happy with that change, happy that it came sooner rather than later. Do you still hold that sentiment? Yep. Mm-hmm. More buffs, please. More buffs. Yeah. They say, do you feel like uh, the community is moving is moving the patch hammer from one strong card to another? Christ, yes. Yeah. It's so fucking annoying. There's always I, a- that's not even to say like they're wrong. I've been with it every time, right? I've been with it, you know, absolutely nerf Sabu. Absolutely nerf leader. Absolutely nerf silver surfer. All the whole way I've been like, yep, 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 yep. And now we're at nerf arrow. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what are we fucking doing here? Yeah. Like that, that, that feels like it might not be the line, but we're getting really close to. At what point is it okay for uh, your opponent to have some say in the game? Are we going to start nerfing Shang-Chi? We actually probably should. Are we going to start like, but like seriously, like at what point does it become okay for your opponent to have a powerful control tool? Is that always bad? Is it bad forever that your opponent gets to play arrow and you don't get to like automatically win the game? I don't know. I, I, I think like, especially what bothers me with arrow is like, she is the only reason Galactus isn't more common. Hmm. She is holding back the Galactus hordes, I feel like, because now if so many decks run arrow, Galactus decks just run the risk of waving into losing mm-hmm. or playing it on five and losing. And they have to, like, actually, you know, counterplay against her. Right. They have to, like, you know, move, fill up a lane if they don't want to get their card Galactus. Into, if they don't want to get the Galactus pulled into the lane with the arrow, they have to, like, play for priority. There's, like, interesting things going on. If she's not there, I don't really know what's stopping him other than dedicate. Like the the fact that a lot of these decks get to free roll her inclusion is actually probably really good for the metagame. That said, you want to make her a five, six, be my guest. But if you're like, oh, they need to leader nerf arrow. No, Mm. no, absolutely (laughs) not. Yeah, there will always be there always be cards or decks. I mean, you know, people always say there's always there's always a best deck, but there always be cards that are frustrating or will be irritating. But we it's really we have to be careful in differentiating like what is actually bad for the game, what is actually overpowered, and what is just you know the current hot thing that's being played. And you're just yeah, like, not enjoying. At it. some point, some cards have to be good. Mm-hmm. There has to be like some cards that are played a lot in a lot of decks because they're good. Yeah. And the decks that you play, um, you as an individual play, might <laughs> heavily influence what cards you specifically find frustrating. Like when people were really angry about leader and wanted leader to be nerfed, a lot of those people were playing decks that leader just shit on. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think this is a qualitatively different, right? I think that leaders, the leader nerf frustration is, you know, okay. I am going through pool three. What I get in the game is a bunch of things that let me do different fun ways of putting points on the board, right? You get uh, Patriot, for example. You unlock Patriot. You unlock Dracula. You unlock you, you play Morbius now, right? Like you're unlocking all these key cards for archetypes. And then it turns out that like half the key cards you unlock just absolutely eat shit to leader. That's, I think, the thing that sucks with leader. 
With Arrow, I think there's just like way more ways to play around her than there were with Leader. Playing around Leader is not intuitive. It just isn't. And the Leader mirror is even less intuitive. But it is so much easier to deal with Arrow. Like people like to meme, I'm like, lol, just fill up the lane. You can do that, you know? Like, or you could just play a Cosmo in the lane you don't want to get arrowed to. There, there's things you can do about about her that you absolutely could not do against leader. Because if you did that against leader, it's like, oh well, I better guess where they leader. <laughs> that sucks. But what you can do against arrow is be like, all right, I I am fairly certain that this is what they want to be arrowing. I can set up a situation where they can't arrow me to here, and if they arrow me to the other locations, I win. You can do that. Yeah. One of the play, ex- so my key issue with the play experience against leader is I felt like it was a bit of a catch 22, right? If I put my opponent upon, like if I put my opponent on leader and I try to play mm-hmm. around it, like let's say I don't play to the board and I just buff my sunspot and I win two lanes that way. If my opponent just point slams the biggest six cost they can, like a Magneto, they win the game, mm-hmm. right? But then mm-hmm. if I, if I don't play around the leader, then they play the leader and I played my big cost. Yeah. It's, that was what was frustrating is it was like pretty much catch 22, unless you had a determ- a deterministic win. Um, right. And if you had a deterministic win, they'd left the game. They were gone. Yeah, exactly. This is a good question as well. This is the last question from B money due to the card, due to the collection and introducing cards series five is the method of second inter- introducing tech cards for problematic cards off the table. Um, basically they're saying, they're introducing these tech cards at series five. Nobody can get a ha- nobody can get their hands on that. Like, is that a good thing? I mean, that is that's that seems like it's a problem, right? Not really. I don't really get the sense that they release things with the meta in mind. I, I don't know where you would get the idea that they would ever try to release a fix via the shop mm-hmm. versus patching it. I just yeah. don't think they would do that. So, do you think that second dinner's priced into rebalancing current cards rather than releasing yes. new cards to balance the game? Yes, and I think that's good. Mm. Releasing new cards to balance the game is exactly a description of power creep. Mm. Makes sense. All right. So next up is I got Disco Visit again, but this is we've talked about this a few times since uh, it's a good thing to revisit. Um, have your thoughts on the rate of card acquisition changed since the shop first release, especially the discrepancy between free to play and paying players? Do you think it is a problem to have such a huge discrepancy once you complete series three, at least in terms of how reasonable it feels to get cards you really want? It becomes more rewarding once you start getting more tokens, but it feels so bad before I would imagine some percent of players leave before they reach that point. <laughs> I think this is actually non-controversial. Like the devs have actually come out and said, yeah, we think that's a problem and we're going to fix it. So, yeah, it's a problem and they're going to fix it. (laughs) That's my take. Uh, Card acquisition might always, I will always, always, always. I want to be clear here. I consider myself or at least I try. I don't consider myself this, but I would try to be a consumer advocate in a sense. I will always say that they should give you more shit for less money. 100% of the time. Absolutely, they should do that. Like, I get it. People are going to be like, oh, well, they need to make money, too. No, 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 no. They should still do it. (laughs) That is always going to be my take. That is my starting position. You could talk me out of that position and be like, okay, well, let's negotiate from there. But my position is always, always going to be they should give you more shit for less money. 100% of the time. So I think the opposing side actually looks like I bought this card for $10 via a season pass. Therefore, I don't want it to be put down at series three and be acquired, like reasonable to acquire by the players. And I think that those people are just flat out wrong, right? I yeah, think my the, answer to that would be uh, tough shit. 
Yeah. The idea of you having cards that other people can't have in a card game and that being like a good differentiating factor, I think it's just absolutely incorrect. It's one of the biggest things I think that Marvel Snap has wrong in their philosophy. This idea that unique collections is fun. The unique collections thing is dumb as shit. (laughs) Maybe we have to edit that out. No, it's fine. It is. It is so dumb. I okay. Fuck it. We're going into it. I hate this fucking unique collection thing because you uh, every problem people have with Marvel Snap's acquisition starts there. Because, okay, let's say you're the devs. You want everyone to have unique collections. How do you prevent them from having unique collections? You put these enormous walls up, time gates, price gates, right? And so you see, if you're a player, you see these price gates and you don't see them as gates. They're not, you don't see them as something meant to keep you out. You see them as something that you have to cross through. You're like, oh, fuck, I need 6,000 tokens for that? That's so dumb. But they don't want you to do that. They want you to think about whether or not you want to use your tokens on that because they want these collections to be unique. They don't want you to have every card in the game. And if you do want to have every card in the game, you better fucking pay $500 or whatever. You know what I mean? You better. That's uh, that's, a, that's a low ball. You better pay $2,000 <laughs> or something like that. If you want to have every card in the game, like tough shit. <laughs> like. They, they, I genuinely do not think they want it for for the vast majority of people, like average spender. They do not want you to have every card in the game. And that's weird. Mm -hmm. And I think that it leads to these sort of like, like you, you saw what happens, right? Like people, like one of the things, whenever I bring this up, people love to throw back at me is, well, if they didn't want you to have all the cards, why do they sell tokens in the bundles? And the answer to why do they sell tokens in these super overpriced bundles is because did, did you see that month when they didn't? Everyone was fucking mad as hell. They were like, where are the tokens in the bundles? <laughs> like, because all of us want all the cards. <laughs> it creates this sort of fundamental disconnect between what they seem to want and what literally every player of every card game ever seems to want, which is to play cards. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is the stance they still publicly hold, but if they if if Second Dinner is of the is of the stance that they will put out and say we think that it is a feature for people to have unique collections and to not have all the cards, and for some people to have all the cards and for some people to not, or for people just to have cards other people can't have, and they think that's that's a bonus, that's a feature. I think that they're actually just being 100 percent dishonest. I, I I think that that's really. I do yes. not think they're being dishonest. I think it's just wildly idealistic. Yeah, I think that it's I think that it's actually dishonest because I think that at this point every I mean I would have I would have argued that it was very clear that that would have been a huge downside from the very beginning but it's one of those things where it's so convenient that that is like they put it under this guise of like this is a feature this is a good thing this is what we think and the way out of that is they just make a shitload of money right you just have to whale your whale your face off <laughs> it's like I right, just don't but it's like I don't even know if it's like that's do you really think this is the like I feel like Everything I've seen from them, I don't actually think they're doing that. Like, remember, they refunded Nexus events, right? Like, mm. if all they were interested in was just making a shitload of money, they just wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I don't I really find, like. I just find it so like, hard to believe I, I don't, that I don't you really need get it. If, if all they were interested in, like, I feel like they they there's a real ideological drive. Mm-hmm. They believe in this model. It's something they are wedded to. It's something they they fell in love with and it's baked in now and I don't think there's any momentum to change it. I don't think it's necessarily fair or backed up by history to say that they were they're being dishonest. Hmm. I, I I don't believe that. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they haven't uh you know via community feedback and 
through what they've observed so far. If, if they, they wanted to that. make a shitload of money, this is a bad way to do it. Well, that's that's kind of fundamentally my contention here. Is like if you wanted to make a shitload of money, just let people buy cards. That would make a shitload of money. Yeah. Like so yeah. this this is not that. And I I it makes me think that the reasons are ideological. They mm. believe in this. Yeah. Well, I think that unique collections are like you can still hold that ideology, but then I think that we can just change it a bit, right? Like unique collections are cool when they're cosmetic. <laughs> when you Yeah, have, I actually I actually just think you can't hold that ideology, yeah. but what can you do? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that unique collections are can be cool when they're cosmetic and people can have an identity to the deck that they like, sure. they can collect, you know, they can have all the whole pixel deck, they can have, you know, the Archem deck, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see somebody at the deck and you can respect like their taste and their cards. Like people do it in, in other games, right? I think that that's a cool version of variance and variety and unique collections. Um, but I think in card games, especially in card games that tend to be, you know, trend towards the competitive side, which Marvel Snap does, whether they, you know, whether it's designed for that or not, it definitely does. Um, to an extent. Their game is too good. Yeah. People want the cards. They want to play the game. The game is actually too good. Mm -hmm. Like it, they didn't, I don't think <laughs> like, this is just like, oh, it's a mobile game, but like they actually just made the game really good. Right. Like this wouldn't be an issue if people didn't love this game. Mm -hmm. It just I mean, wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like, one of the best card games ever created, if not the best. Um, all right, last question here. Well, actually, we'll do two more because one of these is fun. Another one from Feather. Sure. What, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite card flavor-wise, Cam? See, I'm not a big Marvel guy. <laughs> I'll tell you what I like about... Uh, I'll give you a flavor thing I like. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool how both Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus have the effect of preventing your opponent from playing cards into a lane. Mm-hmm. Like, they're two very different ways of getting to that same effect, and I think that's cool for a, a hero and his iconic enemy to have that. Yeah. For me, I am... I, however little of a Marvel fan you think you are, I'm definitely less. Um, I actually... Ha I barely know any of these these characters as Marvel characters. I just know them as the cards. This was, like, my first exposure to a lot of these characters. But I do oh, think I, that... I've got another one that I really love flavor-wise, if you want me to take it. Go I love it. Red Skull's flavor. Oh, oh my yeah? god. It's so good because like the flavor is, you know, people are empowered by facing him. Yeah. Mm, like, mm. you know, thus always to tyrants, right? The, the more people are there, the easier it is to beat him. It's a very it's a very good message. Mm, mm. Solidarity, brother. Yeah. I didn't know the background of Red Skull, so I don't think I could have appreciated Oh, the that background of Red Skull is he is literally a Nazi. Oh, literally. OK. Yeah. I had no idea. All right. Miki here, our last question. Um, well, we talked about that. Basically, uh, how do you feel about the progression of the meta from beta until now, especially with the most recent shift from Surfer Zabu moving to Death Wave Shuri, and maybe that's moved even since then. Um, do you think things are actually worse off, or is it just uh, the consistent background noise of people complaining about the meta? Do people think things are worse? I'm sure there's some people that complain. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard that at all. Anyone who thinks anything anyone has ever played after release is even close to what Sarah Negative was is on crack. Yeah. Like, everything we played in the beta was the dumbest shit imaginable. You would get to, like, collection level 250 and you'd be doing, like, Novas that gave plus two that you duplicated with a Moon Girl that only cost three to buff your Devil Dinosaur that also only cost three. No. 
No, I do not think the meta game has gotten worse. I think that people are it just like inherently they 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 have this tendency to be a bit nostalgic for old metas, uh, no matter how that bad meta they game. Were. The first meta game I ever played in Marvel Snap was one that was dominated, absolutely dominated by the card Cable. Why? Because if you cabled your opponent's Devil Dinosaur or Nova, you'd win the mirror. You know how dumb that shit is? That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Mm. Uh, I'm going to follow up a question uh, with a, a personal one of mine, which is, what's your, what's your least favorite meta overall in all of Marvel Snap? The Two Days Lamentus was around. Oh my god, that one was really bad for you. I hated it. <laughs> what's your favorite? Playing Zoo back in Pool 1. I loved okay. it. It wasn't fair, but I loved it. I'm a zoo guy at heart. All right. All right. So that concludes our questions. Thank you all so much for those who submitted uh, questions for this week's mailbag episode. We had to do a mailbag because I'm actually traveling down to Austin this weekend. Um, but we'll be back onto our normally our normal scheduled programming next week. Cam, I told you before this podcast started, I had a story for you. Um, I think you're going to mm -hmm. like this. So I booted up my Marvel Snap on my desktop today. I don't really, pl I play mostly on mobile, don't play on desktop. So when I, I booted it up, someone on Steam messaged me. It was a friend from about eight years ago that I knew from playing a video game called Squad. It was an FPS game. Um, we played like eight years ago, like I said, and we won this thing called, we won this little world championship for it. It took us a long time. It was like eight month long tournament, whole shit show. Uh, but he messages me and he's like, oh, you play Marvel Snap? Uh, you know, I play it too. What do you like, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool, man. Hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, actually, I gotta hop off real quick. I had to record a podcast. All of a sudden, he's like, "No way, you have a podcast." I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, it's this." He's like, "Wait, you're the you're the person with KM?" And I was like, "I was like, yeah." He's like, "Holy shit, dude! I love KM. I, I'm a I'm a sub for KM." He's like, "What?" A, and it's like this such a small world thing. This is a dude that I played a video game with eight years ago, and I barely talked to since. And he's apparently a huge fan of yours. Is uh, I'm gonna is clip a sub. you saying I'm a sub for KM. Oh, because God. of the other implications of that word yeah go crazy with that sound bite but i thought that was awesome um his, his name was trust at least on steam but yeah i mean it's just crazy when something like that happens and what a small yeah, world. small world freaking small world all right shout out shout, shout out, out to to the brendan's friend from eight years ago that he <laughs> maybe won a eight month long tournament what the fuck is yeah, that? that was freaking ridiculous dude <laughs> sounds awful it was a good time but all right we got a we've got a podcast review here, Cam. I promise I didn't pick this one because it was nice for me. I promise because it was the only other review, because I know you're gonna accuse me of that. The author is Dad's Play Fantasy Football 2. They say, I've stepped away from Fab, but glad I still get to see Brendan's handsome face with this podcast. Didn't include it just for this because he says, Cam is not bad on the eyes either. Wow. I really enjoyed it. So the you're like an eight and I'm like a six. You know, he that's could what that's what I that is what I take away from that. I feel like he's just sandbagging, and I'm I'm the six, and you're the eight. He just he doesn't. Uh, you're know, the he doesn't, handsome one. I'm not that. He doesn't know you well enough. Like you yet. have an affirmative. You have an affirmative compliment. I have the. Uh, you, oh, you're okay. <laughs> well, he's, then he says, "I really enjoy the tactical talks on cards and how to play." The podcast has really helped me to improve my game and even explain some things I didn't realize. If you're looking to improve your game and laugh while doing it, look no further. Well, if you want to get your, your review read out on the podcast, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot. Um, be sure to write something glowing about Cam, and you can just... Yeah, right. Uh, Cam Best is the most handsome, awesome Marvel Snap player of all time. Brendan is cool, too. 
Yes, yes. In 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 uh, in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it helps us out so much. So if you do that, we really, really appreciate it. And we'll get it right out on the pond. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit us with a like and subscribe. We're almost at 1,000, which is going to be a big, a big goal for us because it unlocks the content creator program for Marvel Snap. We're on Twitter at KMBestMS, at BrendanAPG. Cam is streaming on Twitch. He's currently over rank 200 infinite, crushing it and playing battle mode with his viewers, apparently. Where can they find you and when can they find you? Uh, that'd be at KMBestMS on Twitch. And you will find me 6 p.m. on weekdays and usually around 2 or 3 p.m. on Saturdays. That is Eastern time. Uh, generally going for about four hours each time and having a freaking blast uh as much as it is tough that i have to do battle mode because ladder is so ridiculous the massive amount of bots does give you the ability to like try super weird shit and just see if it works and then be like oh maybe that's worth taking into battle mode so there there are, there are like some upsides right like i i have basically free people love people would love to have what i have like people ask for what i have as like an actual feature right like just something to <laughs> and i have it i i am i am in a sandbox right now but don't worry we're still doing some real try hard stuff i put together a team of killers uh to beat up all the bad stuff that i bring and prove to me why all my brews are bad and we stream those too uh you can also catch some of those on my youtube channel uh that is cam best in a snap that's me uh thank you so much for listening and i really appreciate it see y'all next week